True Detective Season 2, Episode 2, Night Finds You is over, but we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. It's the second True Detective podcast here, technically the third, second recap of True Detective Season 2. Hello, everybody. I'm Josh Wiggler. I'm joined here by my fellow True Detectives, uh, one of whom carries knives on his person at all times. It's very strange. Jeremiah Panhorse. Jeremiah, how you doing? Doing fine, man. In fact, I'm sharpening those knives as we speak. You have to protect yourself. Yes, that's I, right. I know people are always coming after you. Yes, all the time. It's it's amazing. I constantly have to just battle people day in and day out jumping after me. So I, that's why that's why I carry plenty of knives. Jeremiah, yes. do you carry those knives because you're physically incapable of overpowering another man? Oh, I hope that was going to get out, but yes. Well, I do think that Jeremiah is physically incapable, as am I, of overpowering the man who just spoke, Antonio Mazzaro. You are a big, strong man. Never mind. <laughs> Don't never mind me. Well, no, I won't never mind you. I am strong. Too bad smell doesn't count for everything, right? Whoa, what's up, dad jokes? Hashtag. Uh, this is off to a great start. <laughs> yeah, great well, start. Hey, listen, they can't all be true detectives. Strong start for the true detectives of podcasting here on Post Show Recaps. How's everybody doing this week? I got a little pain in my lower stomach. I feel like I've been shot a couple of times. <laughs> Really? Is there anything I can do about that? Do you think there's any any hope for me? I don't know. We'll have to wait until next week. But yeah, obviously, Antonio alluding to the big ending of True Detective Season 2, Episode 2, Night Finds You. Spoilers from here on out. If for some reason you've wandered in here not knowing what the hell is about to happen. <laughs> like which a is, child into yeah, a film. It's a very unfortunate thing for you because Colin Farrell has been shot. He's been shot in the tummy and it looks like bad news for everybody who's not named jeremiah panhorst who potentially is scoring on the death draft here it could be a victory early on i i'm if it is the belcoro victory i will be amazed yeah no that was i was i was shocked i was watching with my wife and a friend and uh that happened i was just like ah! Ah, damn! I really, I really did. Yeah, damn! I really did not expect that to happen. Uh, Antonio, what was your first reaction to seeing Ray Velcro take one to the gut, and then my, another to the gut? My first reaction was exactly that: like, whoa, whoa, yeah. did that just happen? Like this, this, that escalated quickly. But then my second reaction was, come on, he's not dead, right? Yeah, I mean, so I I wrote about this a little bit today uh, from a day job at MTV. I wrote about how True Detective Season 2, Episode 2 dropped a Game of Thrones Season 1 on us. And if you've watched Game of Thrones Season 1, you know what that means. Uh, I won't spoil it in case you don't, but Game of Thrones certainly has earned a reputation for killing off important characters at shocking times and shocking ways. And this, to me, felt like the show's attempt at that. Um, At the very least, the show's attempt at aping that you know kind of trying to to conjure up uh something similar to what happens in uh certain episodes of game of thrones um i i think that he's i i hesitate to say fine because i don't expect he's fine but i think that he's alive what do we think yeah i mean i think so too because you i mean you pointed out like that the the line the through line on game of thrones goes from ned stark all the way up to Jon snow you know with uh What's going on there? And I'm, those are spoilers for Game of Thrones. Hardcore, <laughs> by the way. So I guess uh, I'm Blame sorry. Antonio. Blame Antonio. I feel like we need a spoiler warning at the beginning of this podcast now. I was I'm just going to rewind it back here. Anyway, yeah, you point out in your article that there's a through line on Game of Thrones. And that that is all very true. I mean, but you also point out the thing that happens with the window in 
in Game of Thrones and yes. the character does, uh, you've got a different outcome there. So I do think that there's a possibility that he survives my stuff, change. Man. Hey, man, I'm, I'm a supporter. I'm a fan. I'm a fan of you, man. I'm a fan of man. Yeah, I think I think at at best uh, it is it is akin to what happens to to Bran in the Game of Thrones pilot. Just to add on the Game of Thrones spoilers oh, to the God. people who haven't watched it, he's crippled at the end of the first episode. <laughs> Snape kills uh, Dumbledore. Yeah. Oh no! Come on. Oh, come Jeremiah on. didn't know that. <laughs> he, yeah. Jeremiah knew it. He's got a tattoo of it. Oh man, hey, <laughs> Jeremiah, are you Slytherin? Share that on the podcast, man. Yeah, <laughs> Jeremiah sorted into Slytherin. I, I was. I'm. I'm so sorry to say. I know. I know that might mean that people are going to judge me, but no, it, no. it happened. No, I, there I, wasn't I, a witch or wizard that went bad. Wasn't in Slytherin, Jeremiah. That's true. I've that's heard true. that. I've heard that as well. Uh, no, but I, I think that like best case scenario, I would say that he's going to be pretty effed up from what happened. Um, Jeremiah, do you think that he's alive? Do you think Ray Velcoro survives this? I had, well, at first I did have the same reaction you guys. I was like, oh my God, I can't believe it. What, what the hell? And especially when he walked, when this guy, whoever this is, of course, Birdman, Birdman goes, walks up and shoots him again. (laughs) It's like, holy cow. I mean, they're really making this tough for us to think he's not dead. So my first reaction was he's, he's, I guess he's goner, you know, and I had the same thought you guys there that they're pulling out of a, you know, Game of Thrones slash Walking Dead where everybody seems to die all the time. But then I started thinking about it. No, hold up. I, I just I think that's what they want us to think. But he's going to live. Now I know there was a, some people that brought up the fact that, and I forgot about this, but I don't know if it was in a promo shot. It was actually something from one of the, from the episode or the last episode about uh, where they made it a point to show him putting on a vest. Right. So let's go. Let's go with this this theory. Let's say he was wearing because obviously that would help give increase his chances of surviving two shots from a shotgun. Right. But again, what do you guys think? Do you think it's possible he's wearing a vest during this shooting? You would think it so. Look he, like he was wearing a vest. If he, if he survived, uh, you would think that that's probably going to play a role into it. The other thing I was thinking is like, what if it's like, um, I don't know, what if it's like rubber bullets or something like that? Was that? Po- I don't know much about guns, so I don't know if the way that gunfire goes off, if that could be a rubber bullet or anything. It looked like a pretty fierce shotgun blast, Antonio. Yeah, my understanding, uh, and I've fired many a shotgun in my day. Is that up, true? Yeah, growing up in Kentucky, you can't I avoid it. I say Kentucky, come on. Come on. Uh, but what I'd say Sorry. is... Gosh. <laughs> what a, sorry, gosh. Well, I mean, it, when you're born, if you're a boy, they hand you a shotgun uh, at, at the hospital. And if you're a, a girl, they hand you two shotguns because obviously <laughs> women can't ever overpower men. Ooh. So what sure. what no, what I was going to say is I, I think, though, can't confirm that the shotgun that Birdman used to put uh, our boy on the ground there was the same shotgun that the coroner uh, or the medical examiner was suggesting the shotgun blast to the nether regions of Casper uh, was fired by. So it's the same kind of gun, maybe even the exact same gun, most likely, I guess, the same gun. But that doesn't mean it's firing the same round. There are a lot of things you can do. You you can pack them with, uh, like, rock salt. You can... Kill Bill Volume 2. Yeah, you can fire You can fire rubber bullets. You could fire beanbags, uh, which they use to uh, disrupt people using their lawful right to protest in America these days. So there are a lot of things that you can fire out of a gun like that. And not all of them are lethal, uh, even at a short range. I got to think, I don't have a ton of experience with bulletproof vests or being shot while wearing one, but I don't think the vest is in play. I think if he shot that kind of close range while wearing a vest, I don't think that second shot is, I think his chest is going to cave in with a blast from that close. Uh, if it's if it's truly shotgun shot, I don't know though. Yeah, 
Uh, I'm wondering, you know, we did see this graphic, graphic look at uh, Ben Casper, the late Ben Casper's <laughs> nether regions. Yeah, we did. And I just wonder... Like, is the best case scenario for Ray Velcoro that that's what happened to him and he somehow survives a shotgun blast to the Nads? Well, yeah, he said he's not using that region there anymore. That's so. right. Oh, I think what the best case scenario is, is it was lower stomach and Krang starts living inside of him. Oh, my God. Or Quato. Yeah. Either way, we got it. We can make this happen. Well, he was in Total Recall, Colin Farrell. That's right. That could be the Quato origin story. Oh, this is you guys are blowing my mind right now. Open your mind. 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 Open your mind. Let's okay. So let's think about this. Why? Okay. Let's say like that the Birdman decided to put something other than a real shotgun shell in there to what? And to what? To just scare the hell out of out of Ray? Well, I mean, there's there's yeah, there's so little that we know about Birdman, right? I mean, he might be somebody who's enjoying the chase, who wants to toy with the detectives. If he's somebody that is somehow close to to Frank, maybe just injuring this this guy, injuring like, you know, one of his hired guns is an intimidation tactic. Right. Well, and also too, if we if we want to go ahead and play detective, let's think about who actually knew he was going in there. And of course we obviously know that Frank knew, knew he was going in there. And of course the people that were involved in giving them information about this second house. So is it maybe this club owner that uh, Frank had his little meeting with? Could that someone involved there go in there that could be involved with the Birdman? I don't know, but I think that part of it might determine whether or not this, somebody was going in there to actually intend to kill Ray or to just, you know, cause harm and just scare them away or whatever they were trying to do at the point at that point. But it's a lot of questions, man. A lot of questions. Yeah. Seems to me that, uh, the Birdman is squatting at Casper's house. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. What do you think? Antonio? Yeah. I think yeah. that, uh, I think you've drawn a pretty nice cage around that one. I don't know. I, the thing is, I, okay. So one of the things that I, I noticed, uh, and I'm sure this is probably all over the internet. I haven't, had time to check everything out like I normally would like to, but the bird mask was taken from that house, right? Like there's a, there's a bunch of animal masks there on the wall and one of them is empty. Yeah. So yeah. the guy's taking the bird man mask from that. Uh, there was the issue with the bird head with Casper in the backseat of the car last week. I don't know if this guy just kind of like, I don't know if that's the same guy in the car. I don't, maybe he came in through a separate door. If he's been waiting in the house is squatting, like you said, but I think that that mask he's wearing very clearly came from right there. So that's almost like an impromptu thing. Like, Hey, I don't want this guy to see my face. Why wouldn't he want him to see his face? Like if he's going to kill him, he's going to kill him. Like, so maybe that's evidence. He wants to leave him alive. And then again, maybe he didn't want to see him, want him to see his face. Cause it's a weird kind of thing. Like right. those masks being on the wall in a sex dungeon, uh, not exactly uh, the, the most, uh, you know, uh, uplifting kind of thing to think about. Oh, there's a bunch of, weird animal masks on the wall in this kind of creepy sex dungeon house. Uh, yeah, that's great. That's really, that really gets me going. So yeah. I don't know. I don't know if there's an occult thing happening here or if it's just kind of faux occult or what's happening. Wait a minute. So you mean that is not a common decor in people's homes? You guys don't have that in your living room? Mine is on back order. Oh, <laughs> minor human heads. 
<laughs> oh, human heads. Yeah, it's just kind of like so, a, you know, like a... Animal you know, heads is like to- totally 2000, right? Yeah, that's yeah. 15 years ago. All men must die, Jeremiah. All men must die, yeah. Antonio's a faceless well, man. I was wondering, maybe, okay, so with the mask, or with the this head dressing, this bird... Bird brain, let's call it a bird brain. brain. Fun. Maybe it's kind of like, you know, like a superhero, you know, you know, you know how a superhero always carries around his, his costume underneath of him. Maybe he just keeps this thing around, you know, whenever, Hawkman? Yeah, whenever he's ready to do some killing, he slides that, uh, that Birdman uh, uh, mask on and he's good to go. I think he's Here's Harvey Hawk- Birdman. Attorney no, stop. No, stop with the Harvey Birdman. Why? And no, and no Michael Keaton Birdman jokes either. Oh, I wasn't going to uh-huh. go there. That's played out. Let me cross this off from my, my show notes. I, I went there. I also was going to say, good thing he didn't shoot his nose off. Ah, uh, you'll shoot your nose off. Which is a Birdman spoiler. Yes. Sorry. But yeah. you've had time. You've had time to watch it. No, not, not, not for nothing. Not for nothing. If, if Ray Velcoro is dead, shame on him. For seeing a puddle of blood and putting his gun away. Yeah, I am so glad you brought this up because we've got to talk about this scenario. So he what goes, a jerk. He goes in his house. Okay, first it's I don't a, think it's know, a strange, it's, creepy dungeon sex house. It, yes, he, he so he goes to his home. First thing he sees is there's a sink with overflowing water. It looks like right. Then you mention the fact that there's blood on the on the middle of the floor, right? And then he got the music playing with the with uh, Bobby Blue a Bland, uh, pity, the, pity the Fool is the name of the song that's playing, right? And then he goes, so you see all the animals' heads on the back background, some kind of strange sexual swinging thing in the middle of the room. He goes in this, I guess it's the bathroom, right? And he sees this camera and some recording devices. And at this point, he's got his gun put away? Yeah. What? I know there was a lot of people online, by the way, complaining about this. And I have to admit, you guys, this it's a little bit uh, this guy is not uh, he's I, not a great detective. <laughs> I have a great idea, Jeremiah, for your Periscope account. You just need to go into sex dungeons and just discuss what you're seeing. Like, <laughs> oh, there's a sink full of water. There's a crazy swinging sex thing here. There's recording devices in the bathroom. I like it. I like it. You. This oh. could be a hit account. <laughs> it really could. Sex is, dungeon. Is Jeremiah's creepy, sex dungeon. Is creepy dungeon sex house, is that uh, taken on Periscope? Is that a Periscope <laughs> username that's available? <laughs> we, need to, we need to find out. All right. Let's make sure yeah. that one of us secures that before somebody listening to this does. Nike guys, owns it already, unfortunately. Guys would watch this Periscope if I did this. Yeah, I would. Okay. Yeah, I'll watch anything you do, Jeremiah. Well, that's very nice of you. It's also very creepy. I'm drawing as well, a certain depending on where you, yeah. how you interpret what I've said. Yeah. I also think that um, as I, I say, shame on you, Ray Velcoro, for putting your gun away. But I also say that it's really, it seems to be pretty consistent with the character. Let's not forget that in the first episode, you know, this is a guy who puts brass knuckles on and beats the shit out of a bully's dad, not in broad daylight, but with his face recognized to the point that he's called out on it in this episode by his ex-wife. This is also the guy that when he's going to go and beat up the reporter in the first episode, he puts the gloves on in the car, but he waits until he's outside of the car to put the mask on. So this is a guy who's obviously he's, he's drinking heavily. He's, you know, doing, he's bumping rails. He's doing all sorts of stuff. He doesn't have the clearest head. So for him to put his gun away at the scene of this crime, I buy that this is a guy who is outmatched in over his head, not with his A game, maybe doesn't ever, you know, maybe never had an A game to begin with. So I buy that this is a guy that puts his gun away at the sight of a puddle of blood. I don't accuse this uh, of bad writing. I, let me say, though, uh, because I actually think that throughout this episode, specifically 
the times when they bring Colin Farrell and Rachel McAdams together, they make mm-hmm. it a point to show that Colin Farrell, that Ray Velcoro is actually on his game a little bit. He knows that she has not the purest of motives in investigating this case. He can smell it a mile away. He's like, well, why wouldn't they just send these other people? It doesn't make a lot of sense. They just send you and him like he's actually investigating and putting thought together. And it's interesting because in other points of the episode, he's not doing that. She says something like town of 7,000, 70,000 people during the day, but only 95 live here. Where do these people go? Where do they live? And he's just talking about how E6 make him think of fellatio on a robot. And so I don't know if he's playing dumb in that point, but I got to think that there's a little bit more going on with Colin Farrell than I think the show is letting on. And I think they were giving us a little bit taste of that last night uh, when they had him talking to Rachel McAdams about the investigation. He's a smart guy. He's not stupid. And so that said, he's going into this creepy sex dungeon, if you will. And I will. He's going in there with no gloves on and just touching the door touching everything as he's walking around, picking things up. And I'm like, mm. look, buddy, like this might be a secondary crime scene. As soon as you see blood on the ground, you know it's a secondary crime scene. You're going to have to report this. What is your reasoning going to be there for going alone? What, what are you going to make up? Like, I don't understand why he's not walking in that joint with gloves on. Right. Well, what do you guys think about that? Going in alone and, and not just that, but going in without the financial motivation that he's been operating under for however long he's been working with Frank. Uh, he turns down Frank's cash after Frank leaves. He just leaves the stack of cash there. And the waitress says, Hey, you forgot your money. He says, that's not mine. Uh, and he walks away from that. So before he gets shot in the gut, perhaps twice, perhaps somewhere even worse than the gut, uh, before all of these horrible things befall Ray, um, Jeremiah, where do you think Ray's heads at? Like what's, what's going on? Is he, is he like, is he really kind of wounded or reeling from the accusation from from Annie when she says how how you know corrupted are you you know how in deep are you is he is he really trying to wash that sink off himself you think maybe i mean to me i thought you know his conversation with frank though at the at the bar it to me he seemed kind of like he's at his lowest point there and and almost kind of sounded like he was suicidal because I, you know, he was saying the one way out. I felt he was meaning is the one way out of getting out of everything he's got going on in his life is is to kill himself. I took so it I that way too. Like, I, I took it. I took it another I, way. I feel like this guy is at the lowest of low point in his life. Like he almost doesn't even care. And maybe that's why he was so careless, you know, in in how he handled this whole thing. But maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm reading it differently. It sounds like you you definitely read it a little bit differently, right? Uh, I I. Definitely can see that reading, and your reading is probably more correct than mine. But my my first reaction to that was, "Oh, he just threatened Vince Vaughn." Yeah, well, like there's the one way, Vince Vaughn, and that is to shoot you in your creepy eyes face. Hey, yeah. <laughs> bags under his eyes don't make a man creepy. He just looks a little creepy sometimes. He looks a little bucky sometimes. Listen, anyone who turns rat into goo is a little creepy in my book. That's true. Yeah. He's definitely creepy. So I I, I guess the thing is always. I don't think at this point right now, I think Frank obviously wants Ray around. So I don't think, you know, like if, if Frank was in, let's say Frank was involved in, you know, having him shot. I just can't imagine that because it seems like from discussion the two of them are having there is that, you know, hey, I, whether you like it or not, I need you and you're and I don't care what you think you're going to do. You're going to be working for me. 
Yeah, yeah. Can, you know, so unless unless he unless he set this up to scare the hell out of him. Can we can we talk about that makes me want to talk about the larger story in play here, which is sure. that Frank was ripped off and Casper had five million of Frank's dollars. Frank had gone liquid. This was everything he'd built. This was he liquid. turned and he turned and yeah, he'd gone everything. This is it. This is it. He's liquid. So he 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 was he changed from solid to a gas and then he ended up liquid and he decided that he was going to go in on this big land deal and got ripped off and his money is gone. So I think it's pretty safe to say that Frank didn't kill Casper. So I guess the question is like where are we are, are we are we are we meant to think anything about who killed Casper and how that's going to play out at this point? Are we are we missing kind of any clues or what are your guys thoughts on the larger story here? Because I got to think that whoever killed Casper is allegedly or probably the person that killed that or 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 tried to kill uh, Colin Farrell's character who tried to kill Ray. So if this is the same person and they're wearing a mask to cover their head up, my guess is it might be somebody that's known to us as an audience already. Uh, are, do we? Do you guys think that or, or what do, what's your read on that? Entirely possible. I mean, I don't have any lead suspects yet in terms of who shot ray who killed casper if they're one and the same person i think i'm i'm fairly ready to say that it's not one of the four i don't think that obviously it's not ray he got shot in the balls or the gut or wherever he got very badly badly wounded or killed so he's out uh i agree with why frank wouldn't be the guy frank is really in a hole this is really messed with frank and we're seeing frank in his private moments and it seems like he's got nothing to do with what's going on he is quietly at times and not so quietly and other times freaking out over what's going on right i don't i don't think it's annie i feel like we're seeing too much of annie for it to be any sort of twist reveal that she is involved in the killing um and taylor kitsch seems like he's dealing with his own bag of problems what uh, about what about secondary we'll characters uh, yeah in terms of secondary mayor what about the mayor's a culprit for sure. You know, you can't rule out the mayor. He was the, the Chechenian in The Dark Knight. He was a shady character in that movie. He was a shady character on The Blacklist. That guy just tends to play shady characters. At best, he's a shady character. At worst, he is a killer. I think he's a culprit. What about Casper's shrink? Yeah, oh, yeah. but Rick Springfield. That's I mean, right away, Rick Springfield's playing him. He's got to be the killer, right? Is he the Yellow King? <laughs> Dude, he, he looked so terrifying. I think he looked like a, like a vampire looks when he like tries to dress up and go out during the day, and right. he's got like a, a mask covering his actual skin and like a fake wig, like or like not a fake wig, I guess a real wig, uh, but a fake hair uh, on his head. He just looked so terrifying and unsettling. What the heck was going on there? It I was just like you said, vampire too, because that's exactly what I was thinking. Is like this guy is definitely a vampire <laughs> he looked like have you guys ever uh, i might be out nerding myself you know the anime helsing i know of it but i've not do a, a google image search for helsing he looks like that guy okay Is right. that like van helsing he's like a vampire uh Okay. He has like the same glasses as Rick Springfield had in that but you can't trust him but you can't trust a man who wears sunglasses during the day well i i tend to do that a lot well indoors during the day i tend to do that a lot but i agree yeah, and I don't trust you at all. That's what I'm saying. I totally agree with you. I also wear sunglasses during the day inside, and you can't trust me. <laughs> like, well, I can clearly not choose the wine in front of me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, make, Wait till make, I get going. <laughs> Inconceivable. <laughs> Go ahead. Are we going to talk about Sicilians now? <laughs> yeah. Not while death is on the line. No, well, that's a classic blunder. But I mean, you're, you're right about, though, here's another character that's been introduced that 
obviously could, looks like he could definitely be a killer. That's for sure. It's, yeah, but I feel like do you, do you hire Rick Springfield to be the killer? Is that just way too obvious? That would be way too obvious. And some of this is all too obvious that it's genius. I think I think it's listen. Who's the true detective here? I think that some of this is in pursuance of creating weird, just unsettling scenes where you, you, you leave the scene and you're like, wow, like I don't feel great. About it. It's like a lot of David Lynch. We talked about this on the first episode. I think we've, um, you know, we've kind of had, we had a comment from Johnny Lopez on post show recaps about it at our website at postshowrecaps.com on the show page for this episode. Strong Lynch vibe. Johnny said both bar scenes from episodes one and two have live music like Blue Velvet the way a lot of the scenes are quietly faded into each other, California setting along with the slowly peeling back of the CD underbelly kind of thing. So I do think that there, there is the Rick Springfield scene and all that. It really just adds these layers of creepiness and weirdness that are going on. And so the background details, like seeing women who are, who have had plastic surgery kind of wandering around there. Uh, they're just, they're just weird details for now. But the second thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is, do you think we're meant to be looking for clues? That's what everyone who's watching this show is doing. That's what the conversation around this show is. Everybody's looking for background clues and digging deep into things like paintings on the wall uh, behind what's going on in the action at the bully's house and so forth and so on. And I'm not saying this is crazy. Plenty of shows feed you Easter eggs like that for dinner. But I think that this show is feeding us an awful lot of them and a lot of them just as misdirection. Like like people are observing that they had the constellation Orion as Paul was looking up at the stars and one of the stars from Orion's belt was missing. Is this a men in black tie in? Like what's going on with the show? <laughs> um, I think that true detective, uh, one of the things that it, it seems to do very well. And, and those of you who watched the show weekly when it, when it was on in season one would be able to speak to it better than, than I can. But my understanding is, you know, that was a huge part of what drew people in to season one was there was like a Lostian level of analyzing details, hyper analyzing things, looking for clues, trying to figure out who is the Yellow King, who's responsible for all of this horrible stuff, what is Carcosa, all of these things, trying to find the answers to these questions in any little Easter egg they could find, looking at artwork, looking at um, you know characters and backgrounds and, and things like that. And ultimately, for me, while I was watching season one of the show, I was just so much more riveted in like the mood and the characters and the acting and what was going on there that I wasn't really personally lo- look, looking for looking for anything in terms of sightings of, of uh, what could confirm or deny you know certain theories about the Yellow King. But I know that that was a heavy, heavy part of season one and part of the fun and part of what made it such a water cooler thing. But but it didn't matter. Yeah, exactly. Like it didn't. Right. It, it ultimately didn't matter. You know, the Yellow King was just like the the big dude on the thing, and it was great. But it wasn't. You know, like an actual spaghetti monster or anything like that. Um, but it it and for me that was I was fine. I was still riveted all the way through. I I count myself as one of the I think minority who really liked the way that season one wrapped up. And I think it was dis- a disappointing finish for certain people who had really invested a lot of energy into that sort of decoding the mystery and not to take away from people who are still doing that who are really looking into that i think that's absolutely what we're supposed to be doing we're trying to figure out this crime alongside the the three detectives and frank um but i think that a lot of stuff is just there to be read into i think a lot of that is just there to build mood a lot of that is there to just feed into themes you know i think that the the probably the bird theme is going to be big there's things that you can read into there but you can also just drive yourself 
crazy with that kind of stuff. But I don't know. Um, way crazy, way crazy because the, I mean, the song was different. It was the same song, but the lyrics were different in the intro. Yes. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, Jeremiah. Did you notice that that the opening of uh, the the Nevermind from the first episode was different from the Nevermind of the second episode? The lyrics at the end are different. I will admit, I did not uh, right away. I did see some people mentioning that, but I mean, you know, there's I don't know if you guys have read the lyrics to Nevermind, but you know, there's quite a quite a bit. Of, there's quite a few lyrics there that they could easily pick you know, different parts for the episode. But the question of course is, does it mean anything? Yeah. And I think Antonio, what you're saying is, is that since last season, we all, many of us got so caught up in a lot of these little Easter eggs that was going on and to find out most of them for the most part really had nothing to do for sure. And as far as solving who it is that was doing all this. And, but I, I, even though I agree with you, that is a possibility that this is just putting in there to fill in themes and all these other things that you mentioned, Josh. But, you know, I know one of the things that Nick really wanted to try to do is make this is very different from the previous season. And what if, and what if we are supposed to be looking into all this stuff? Because this time he really is going to be putting something in there as a hint as far as who's involved with this. You just so accepted it's, it's, me. It, <laughs> I mean, I don't want to like, like now have everybody and their brother like spending way too much time than they probably need to on this because it's very possible that none of this had means anything as far as who's, who's doing the crime. But I just think that, you know, it's, it's fun. I, as for, for a television viewer, I mean, I, I love looking into this stuff and probably spending too much time contemplating about what maybe this could mean and looking at what people's got on their walls and, you know, deter, you know, I saw people talking about everything that was in the, uh, psychiatrist's office, you know, and what is, what, what all some of the stuffy weird stuff he had laying around at his office. Well, what, what that could possibly mean. It's fun, but I don't know if it really does mean anything about giving away who, who it is that's, that's, uh, involved in this, this crime. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what do you guys think about let's let's shift to let's shift to Frank and Frank has you know he has a bad episode he finds out that you know the money is missing and he's in a real hole and he's got the whole story the whole monologue he gives about how he was locked in the basement and he's still wondering if he's still in the basement sometimes and his wife's like how many of these stories do you have that I don't know about this is horrible <laughs> um, and Tony what do you think of everything that was going on with Frank in this episode well uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. Be I'm honest. Not, just say how you feel. It wasn't the best written. It was pretty, pretty cliche what? written garbage uh, in parts. But I thought Vince Vaughn did a great job with it. I actually was very impressed with the work that Vince Vaughn did here. I didn't think that it was uh, the best written stuff. I thought that it was pretty run of the mill uh, kind of like internal monologue being expressed in a bed about these sorts of dark things that happened when you were a child. Like I very expected not at all unexpected. Uh, and so the bed scene didn't do it for me, uh, even though I thought Vince Vaughn very good. And on the whole, I feel like Vince Vaughn is bringing it. Like, I feel like he is not at all the weak part of the show. I think the, if there is a weak part of the show, it's that the show is de- bound and determined uh, to proceed narratively the way that it is doing. And I think by episode four or five, it should be fine. I think right now it's like, okay, we're going through this exercise where you're feeding us a whole bunch of stuff, making sure we get character notes about a whole lot of different characters, correcting some of the mistakes that were made with the first season about underserving uh, women and female characters. And so I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm liking how it's playing out, but that particular scene, not so much. I loved, however, the scene between he and the guy that he shakes down 
who I think, if I'm not mistaken, was kind of a bookie that was operating on his turf because he says something to him like, that's what you get when you make book and sweatshops and, and Vinci or whatever. So I think he's basically saying, like, you need to be giving me money. You need to have some respect. You piss me off. I'm going to beat you down. Yeah, that so scene I was-, was great. I was wondering about that scene. So that's that's unconnected to the Casper murder, right? That's is is that just Frank is really kind of in desperate desperation mode for money? I think that's right. I think that he's just starting to shake people down, beat up the you know, the guys who were probably. I mean, his bag to the the mayor was light. You know, he was right. light five k or ten k or whatever that was. So it isn't just that he has no money that he's liquid. Uh, whatever business is that he's running illegally and skimming money for the mayor from. Something's going on there. And I think that that was related to that. Um, the mayor had also mentioned that uh, somebody might want in on that poker room. One of the businesses operating is clearly an illegal poker room. But mm-hmm. I'm not sure if this was meant to be the guy that was doing that. Because Vince Vaughn pretty clearly says, like, don't, you know, don't make book or don't, you know, don't make book or whatever. That's just running gambling operations like sports book, like betting. So I do right. think that that's what this guy did. I like. I really liked how that scene played out pretty good scene for Vince Vaughn specifically as an actor, because when he first approaches the guy, he's all like, I can't believe it. I saw that that happened. Can you believe what happened? Like, that's crazy. Who did you piss off to have this happen? Maybe you should think about that. And then, you know, he's real friendly, real fast talking, real nice Vince Vaughn. Then just a little bit of a twist at the end. I thought that scene was great. Menace. Yeah. Like he kind of, kind of felt that part right there did feel like a, typical Vince Vaughn character a little bit for just a moment. His little Vince Vaughnness, shall we say, kind of snuck out a little bit there. I mean, I was okay with that scene. I'm sure you probably have seen, and I think we've actually had some of our listeners that have already talked about this. There has been a lot of backlash against Vince Vaughn. I kind of understand some of the things they're saying because I think that he does struggle in some parts to deliver the dialogue in such a believable way where I am completely buying it, but I don't think it's that terrible. And I certainly agree with you. It's cer- I do not think Vince Vaughn is the worst part about, you know, true detective season two. I think you could definitely point to some of the writing. I mean, I do agree with all of the listeners and, and some of the people on the internet were talking about that childhood story. Just, I don't know. if I don't know how it just did not work for me as well. And, so if I was to look at any negativity, it would maybe be a little bit on the writing and not necessarily on Vince Vaughn's performance. Well, um, you know, he, Thanks, Josh. He, he, I think that he, uh, I, I think that the show is not yet playing to his strengths and maybe that's intentional. I think that, you know, Vince Vaughn really excels with fast paced, super witty dialogue where he's really cutting you down and tearing you down. And I think that that kind of, uh, dialogue could really work on a show like this, but he's instead he's, you know, his dialogue is very stilted and slow and deliberate. And it's not really what you're used to from him. And I get them trying to shake things up with him, but uh, I actually do, you know, the, the scene where he's shaking the guy down uh, that, that Vince Vaughn isms uh, that, that he's uh, got on display there. I would like to see a little bit more of that, but I'm compelled enough. And I really like him as a character right now and the position that he's in where he's, Really, you know, his back is in 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 the wall. Is he's right up against the wall, and he's obviously very very worried and freaking out and panicked about the situation he's in, and trying to keep it cool in front of certain people and not being able to keep it together in front of others. Um, and he's gonna he's gonna have to co- uh, cut some costs pretty soon. I feel like that IVF might be on the table. I don't know if he's gonna be able to pay for that. Yeah, that's a good call. Yeah, I mean, you know, he's not looking forward to jerking off and no cup, and maybe he's not going to have to. Hey, that's a way to make money. It's uh, that's true, actually. Yeah, it is. 
to start did, from but, scratch, so to speak. So maybe he should do that. I know he's not looking forward to it. Maybe he ought to look into that. Yeah. You know what I like? I want to ask you guys this. What I really like though right now about his character is the fact that he is very desperate. Like he yeah. like said earlier. And to me, that makes it that makes his character really exciting to me because now I, I don't know what this guy is willing to do to get his money back. You would assume just about anything. So to me, that, that makes his character really intriguing. And I'm very excited to see, you know, how things are going to progress with them. Yeah. You guys agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, th- I think that he's a compelling character and definitely one to watch. Well, and I, I, I think that's a really excellent observation, Jeremiah. And j- combine it with what Josh is saying about the IVF going off the table. I'm very, com- very interested and curious to see what happens with the relationship with Vince Vaughn's character and, and his wife, um, with Frank's wife, because mm-hmm. she seems to be there. She knows some of his stories, but not all of them. We, we suspected, at least in the first episode, that there might be a little bit of Lady Macbeth going on there, uh, that maybe she's she's motivating him. Uh, and then, you know, you've kissed, there's so many great things from Macbeth. I think that Macbeth at one point says, life's a story told by an idiot full of noise, uh, full of sound and fury signifying nothing. And so that's kind of a great Vince Vaughn uh, and also kind of a great line about True Detective and all these clues. Uh, so I am wondering if there is a level of Shakespearean kind of character drama in play with Vince Vaughn's character. And I think that the nothing to lose and the motivating factor that causes him to kind of act out has been exposed here in the first act. And I do think that it it should be very interesting to see how that all plays out. What did you guys make, though, of what we see from from Taylor Kitsch uh, from from that from that perspective with his mom and some other motivating factors there? Where are we with that? What's going on there? With the, the hard F-bomb he drops? Yeah, he drops a hard F, especially yeah. in this day and age. Yeah, he drops a hard F homophobic language coming from uh, Paul Woodrow in this episode. There's a lot of theories online that um, that Paul's gay. Uh, there's the scene at the end of the episode. He, he, you know, he's talking about, you know, he's talking with homophobic language. He's talking about how, like, some guy hit on him at a bar and he set him straight. And then at the end of the episode, he's looking... Uh, out across the street at some male escorts, perhaps longingly, depending on how you're you're looking at the way he's looking at people. So that's been a lot of chatter that I've seen um, that maybe that connects with why he's using Viagra so that he can perform with a woman. That's been a lot of the theories that I've been seeing today surrounding that character. What have you guys been thinking about it? Yeah, that's what I, I read a lot of that. And I, the, what I read is everything that you just mentioned. And I, I definitely could see how you could buy into that, that that very well could possibly what's going on here with the backstory for Paul. I, but I also could see, you know, I also saw some other people mention the fact that, you know, we, so we get, we get introduced with this, this, his mother, which is obviously also right. very, very weird, unusual. There's something obviously very, a little Colby Colby's mom going on. Yeah. So it is very possible that he could have been abused by this woman as a kid too. And then also could explain some of his intimacy issues and that maybe it has nothing to do with the, the fact that he's gay. Maybe he's just a, you know, a very homophobic person and is not, not a great guy. I mean, I think also entirely possible. Yeah. Guy. You know, <laughs> so I'm just saying, I could see how I could see how there's a lot of different scenarios going on. This guy, obviously uh, just like, Every character, it seems like in the show, has extremely dark, terrible, nasty background that we're, we're not quite all sure what in the world this guy's getting into. I thought one of the interesting conversations we saw with, with Paul's character, which who clearly doesn't seem to talk too much, would be, might be the one he has with his, his I guess, now ex-girlfriend when she's discussing about the 
newspaper article and she talks to him about this black mountain security thing that he was uh, into. What is that about? Because it sounds like that was something that uh, pretty bad he was involved in that I have a feeling we're going to learn more about down the road. What do you guys think about that? What do you think, Antonio? Yeah, I mean, he, he very clearly served as kind of a paramilitary contractor for what I assume is a Blackwater-like organization, Black Mountain. And uh-huh. he's seen some shit. Like, he has seen some shit. Like, there's no question about it. Like, I don't know if the scars on his arms are all from combat. I suspect that they're not. Like, I suspect that there there's probably a more specific story similar to our paper mache and rat being squished story. Uh, where he's got some actual horror that we're going to hear about. Maybe it's from combat. I don't know, but I, I, there's definitely, he's a, there's a lot more to him than meets the eye. And I don't know how much more he seemed to be the guy who, when the state police were like, Hey, we could, this could get you an investigator job. He's like, I just want to get back on the bike. Yeah. Can I just go on the bike? Yeah. That's all he wants. I just want to ride my bike. Come on, mom. God. (laughs) But, um, but I don't know. I, 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 are you guys going to be satisfied if, this is just, oh, he's a closeted uh, secret homosexual, and that's all there is going on here? Well, there, there's another theory that I saw online that was on the, the front page of the True Detective Reddit that I think is fairly compelling, but obviously we just don't have enough information yet to verify whether or not that's what's going on. Um, but this user, Manifold Institute, theorized that during a period of financial hardship, Paul's mom had Paul out on the streets as a young, possibly underage prostitute, which would explain her over-familiarity and would cast his long, intense gaze at the male escort in a new life. His obviously self-directed homophobia would have a different context, too, especially if he is, in fact, straight but had to work male johns when he was on the street. And if we want to get really tinfoily, we could theorize that his scars are related to... We know that Casper was into young women and likely ran with a pretty perverse crowd. There's no reason others in said crowd wouldn't be into young guys. Uh, so this is this is something that this person had theorized. I think that's that's a kind of interesting direction that possibly it could go in. I would like that too. Yeah, I, I would. I would scare- feel a lot better than that. I would feel a lot better about that. Um, but also, there's an article on Wired that this user on Reddit points to, uh, a Wired article that states in the next episode, we are going to find out exactly why Paul turned down uh, the blowjob from the actress in episode one. So maybe we're going to find out something pretty soon. So that might be something to look out for next week. That could be something that we're getting some some movement on. Well, that sounds a lot more like, yep, he's just going to go across the street and pick that hustler up. It's possible. Yeah. And, I, yeah, and that's okay. I just, I think back to True Detective season one, Rust Cole, insane. And there were so many reasons why. And we got on most of them uh, during the course of this, uh, of, of the season. And I felt like, I felt like the big two reasons were really compelling. Like that he'd lost his daughter and that his marriage fell apart. And then he turned into this deep undercover kind of crazy uh, this asset that they were using the worst possible cases, sending him into deep cover drug addiction and all of that. And then he ends up at this police force in Louisiana. And so I found that to be really compelling, especially when juxtaposed with Woody Harrelson's character, Marty Hart, who was just kind of a normal dude. Like he, he kind of sucked. Like there were a lot of, he was bad in his marriage uh, and he wasn't the best father in a lot of respects. He wasn't a bad one, but he wasn't a great person by any stretch. 
but he certainly wasn't as screwed up as Rust was. And then this season on True Detective, it sure as shit seems to me like all four of these people are messed up majorly. And if that's the case, I'm wondering is like, what, what are they doing with this season of True Detective? Like, nobody has their shit together. Every one of these four people is really screwed up. And I want to talk about Rachel McAdams. Like we found out in this episode, four siblings, two of whom are in jail or five siblings, two of, two of whom yeah. are in jail, two of whom killed themselves. And one is her. So it's like yeah. everybody in this whole damn thing is screwed up. Like what, by the way, where does that put Athena, her sister? That I we've think met? she's one of the ones in jail. Like I think she was counting her from this most recent bust, but I don't know that that's necessarily true. Right. Right. And we, I mean, she did, it's not like she was going to share every, you know, single truthful information to this, this kooky doctor that's asking questions. But yeah, I do agree that that's what I kind of got from it too. But yeah, I'm like, I'm glad you mentioned this, Antonio, because I don't, I don't mean to be so too critical about the direction they have with these characters, but it's almost unrealistic. Like it's, it's like, it's like really every single one of these people have the worst possible situation. It's, it's just like you said, way beyond even anything that, that we could imagine. And at least with last year, I felt like even, even though the fact that Russ was obviously very messed up, but you know, both of them didn't seem like it was out of the realm of a real possibility. I mean, these characters, it's like, Oh my gosh. And if, if any of these theories we have now about Paul is, is right. It's just like, they're like out on a whole nother planet of, of messed up. And it just, I don't know. It just kind of makes, it just makes it seem like they just sat around the writer's room and thought, okay, now that's not deep enough. What else could be wrong with this guy? How about he was raped, you know, as a child, you know, it's so hard to make them just, you know, there's a, I mean, there's a really good point on our show page from Matt Campbell, and it says, how dark is too dark? So far right. watching this feels like an eight-hour noir film. However, even in film noir, there's an accompanying sense of seductiveness and masking the dark underbelly of the story with glitz and glamour and hope. This is just a straight-up dark show for every second of every scene. And I do think that that's kind of how it's playing out. I guess my question for the two of you is, are you okay with that? Josh, I mean, are you okay with that? I'm okay with it for now because it's two episodes into an eight episode thing. You know, the thing that's difficult for me in watching season two of True Detective as opposed to season one of True Detective is I got to wait a damn week in between episodes, whereas I was able just to just eat the whole thing when I watched season one. And I thought that that made it a really compelling experience. I couldn't stop watching the next one. I had work to do and I didn't care. I just didn't do any of my work. I just watched True Detective season one all in one day. Sorry, bosses who happen to be listening to this. Uh, and, and with this, you know, there's just there's still six hours of story that we don't know about yet. And we don't know how this thing is going to unfold. And maybe it's going to end on some version of an uplifting note. You know, that's certainly how season one ended. And that was a big surprise that that's kind of the direction that we went in. It's not impossible that season two is going to, you know, have a ton more darkness than we've already seen, which is granted a lot as you guys are very nicely articulating, but it's also possible that there's going to be some semblance of this glitz and glamour and hope that Matt is talking about. That could still be on the way. With the whole thing, I'm holding out judgment until we get deeper into it. We're two episodes in. I don't want to say that it's too dark, too morbid just yet because there might be something around the corner. And I think from my experience, True Detective works better in a chunk than, uh, you know, like one big chunk rather than many chunks, episode one hour a week. Uh, I have to say that I enjoy the binge of True Detective more than I'm enjoying the weekly so far. Um, but I, I'm, I'm holding out hope. You're holding a fan, out you're hope a fan of hope. one big chunk is what you're saying. That's what I, I love mean. the chunk. One big chunk. 
One big yeah. chunk. And I think we talked about this in our previous show. I think that True, True Detective, especially season one, and we would, obviously season two is yet to be determined, but I think season one, it definitely works so much better as one that you can watch in a chunk. I like to call it Netflix style, where you know, you're able to do that. And it, it may work out that way that we're going to feel the same way about this particular season. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. Obviously, as soon as this one, this episode, and I was like, oh, my God, I got to wait till next week to find out what's going on. So they, they had that going for them. And, you know, whether or not this was just a red herring as far as, you know, Ray being dead or not. But to answer your question, Antonio, is I, I could I could be OK with it. It just I need to see it play out. And obviously, like like Josh said, it's a little early for me to determine for sure whether or not this is you know going you know because it's just too early to determine for sure that's going to be the, the way it's play out but if, if it is it's fine and you know this is something i told a buddy of mine who's kind of kind of iffy about the season i said here's the good thing about this is it's only eight episodes and i know that sounds maybe terrible for me to say but it's not it's not a huge commitment for me to to go through eight episodes regardless you're committed <laughs> yeah i'm just saying you know you're here <laughs> it's eight episodes it's not that it's not that bad but if if it turns out to where this is going to be the case where all these, you know, that's that this direction we're going to have all the way to the end with these characters, I could be okay with it, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I, I want to point I, Go ahead. If that's the intent of the writers, that's what they've always wanted to do is just, just, just going to be a really dark-ass show, then okay. I'm okay with it. But it's going to have to go all the way through then at that point. I want to say one thing. Comparing Knowing me, I would prefer the asses to be not dark and shadowed. I'd like them to be in focus and juicy. I'd like to see them juicy, mm. juicy butts is what if you, you like. If you listen to me on post show recaps, you know I like it. He likes yeah. a juicy butt. Yes, he likes butts. a juicy butt. Juicy anyway, for flavor. Sorry, Antonio. It sounded like you were going to say something meaningful, juicy and I just brought it back down to juicy butts. Brought it back to juicy butts. It's okay. One big chunk, Josh. But what I was going to say is, I I was thinking about this. Um, while Jeremiah was making the point about the difference in the two seasons, I think that we have to also consider the milieu. I think that the fact that it's the season one is set in sort of the, the low swamp lands of Louisiana, right? And all mm-hmm. these parishes and these little towns, and there's several memorable interactions with the people that inhabit these little areas, whether it's a boat fisherman who remembers some girl who was a girlfriend of some guy, or whether it's a guy mowing a lawn, or whether it's somebody who is just a former star athlete who is now nothing, or all the people like a preacher in a church or a preacher in another church or a mobile person that is a preacher or a handicapped guy that's hanging out with him. You had the cast of characters kind of going about their daily lives in, in that kind of setting. And the story of, of true detective was sadly that young girls, especially, but also young boys, I think, could disappear from those places and no one would say anything about it. No one would really talk about it that much. It was okay. In fact, strong suggestion that it was state sponsored. And one of the things I really liked about this episode of true detective is that they sort of characterized, not quite personified, but characterized the city of Vinci. We found out about the history. We found out about all these previous actions that had gone on, all the toxic waste that comes out of Vinci we found out that the whole town itself is just this dirty, horrible place. And there are musings from Rachel McAdams character like, hey, what's going on? Uh, where do these people go at the end of the day? And we see some random people playing in what clearly appears to be toxic water runoff. And, <laughs> and at one point, you know, Velcoro is kind of warning them like, ah, oh, danger, get out of there, get out of there. And they're just ignoring him. 
And like, yeah. this is Vinci. Like, it's I a really great gift like of that. that already, by the way. Of what? Of him yelling? Uh, uh, yeah. And then telling him like to F himself. And he's like, yeah, okay. F yeah. me. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. Funny. I really yeah. like that, that sequence because look, if the first series was about like, okay, this is kind of a normal life here. And there's a sadness in a lot of this normal life, but you can see where a criminal could really operate here. We have this crazy, corrupt, like dirty, like literally just filthy, dirty place. And of course, this is where criminals are operating. And from the mayor's standpoint, we're a success story in down economic times. We're one of the only cities who's doing really well. Well, They're doing really well because they're taking everyone else's garbage and filth and corruption so I don't think we should be truly shocked when nearly all the characters that we encounter are filthy and corrupt and dirty. And even the ones who aren't are probably going to get filthy and corrupt and dirty as a result of interacting with this crazy little town. It's a dirty, dirty town. It is. Yeah. <laughs> I just I really like that about Oops, this, no, this particular I, season. I, I really do. I like that, too. No, yeah. I hear you. Uh, let's talk Annie because we should talk some Annie before we go. Annie and all of her knives. Do you like the knives, Antonio? How do you feel about the knives? I like the knives. Uh, I didn't necessarily like her reasoning for Chekhov's knives, as Beefcake points out. Yeah, on our, yeah. Our show. <laughs> I think that Rubicon says the same thing. Uh, says you know, at some point this season, uh, she's going to use those knives on someone. Hashtag Night of the Long Knives. Like I do think that we're going to see those knives come into play for sure. But I'm not. I'm okay with that. I like the knives. It's a nice character note. I like. I said I, I'm not the biggest fan of her explanation for why she's got them. But uh, but yeah, it is what it is. What do you think, Jeremiah? You into the knives? I've always been a big fan of knives. You know, it's it's so much uh, more pleasant to kill someone with a knife. Oh my god, <laughs> Jeremiah's the old king, yellow king. Money can't buy knives. He's the old king. Oh, I'm sorry. Is this is this on? Are we recording? Yeah, this? we're recording. This. Everything. Uh, everything. Uh, no, anymore, I, we're not. It's on the internet. So, Antonio, I'm curious. So, you you're not quite. Are you completely? You're not completely buying her reasoning for carrying all the knives. I buy it. I just think it's kind of pretty standard. Like, oh, a little, a little true detective. Oh yeah, I'm a woman. I'm not strong enough. I gotta carry knives around. It's like, why aren't you carrying guns then? Like, I don't understand. Like, anyway, I I appreciate it. Yeah. I, I felt like the first couple of episodes. We have unfortunately not got everything that we that we probably can get with this character. I like the backstory much better about her being the survivor of a really screwed up family. I don't like the comments like her sister saying when she walks, it sounds like a racer's clapping together. I don't think we need that. The knives thing. I don't know. Like I just I'm not I'm not all in on everything they're doing with this character, but I think there's a lot of potential there. Yeah. And there was some growth. I don't know about you guys. But there's a little bit of growth in this episode for me. Like. At first, I don't know. I didn't think I was really into the character, but she's growing on me. I'm starting to think maybe this could be a very compelling uh, character that we can be able to see a lot more. I just, I felt like, I just felt like by the end of this episode, I definitely liked her much more than I did after the first one. If that makes any sense to you, and and it actually, this is a big question I had for both of you guys: is if let's say Ray is dead, are you going to be okay with the fact that we could be seeing a, yes. a Paul Annie only yeah. centric uh, show? Yeah, that, I was just going to say like that's the big reason why I am rooting for Colin Farrell to still be off the show. Like I'm, I'm rooting for Ray to be dead. Uh, okay. As I'd be excited that if if they can find a way that it makes sense for him to be alive and they can fit him in in an, in an appropriate way. I'm into that as well because I think Colin Farrell is doing a really good job with the character. But I think it would be uh, re- a really interesting choice to take him out, 
put Rachel McAdams really in the lead role with Taylor Kitsch as her number two. I think that that could be a really good dynamic. It looks like at the very least that's the dynamic we're going to get next week based on previews. Um, I would like that quite a bit. Uh, I would like to see her really take the spotlight. And I get the sense that she is going to become more and more central to this thing. What do you think, Antonio? Are you going to be okay with this? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I would be more than okay with it. It would be great. I'm, I would definitely be on Josh's team for, for that reason. The thing that I'm not liking about it is it, it seems to be that the meta mystery that's going on, we had an email from Hug a Tree Mom, uh, from Kelly about this. And the meta mystery, Hug a Tree Mom points out that the missing girl was mentioned again. Uh, do we, do you guys still, do you think that's going to be a red herring? Do you think that's going to matter? I'm telling you, if, I, I made it. I put in my notes that they mentioned it to me. If they're mentioning it, that's gonna that there's something's got to. It has to do something somehow involved in the overall story. It has to be. Yeah, I think another thing that was really interesting to me is that Elliot, her father, is brought up again yes. in this episode. That uh, that Rick Springfield brings that up, and you know she goes in her whole spiel, and that just can't be just for fun. You know well, that can't just be set dressing. What's crazy about that is he brings it up, I think, by name, and then he kind of mentions the city where, where everything was located, where his sort of like retreat was located. Mm-hmm. And then if I'm not mistaken, later on when Elvis, uh, the partner is talking, uh, he says something like to the effect of, uh, well, uh, Annie, like, did you, you know, I got a, a lead on that girl. And he mentions the town and the town is the exact same town. Like right. it's the town where her father's thing is. So what I was bringing that up for is that, she seems to be connected to what might end up being the meta, like the, the larger story in play here, which is that there's some crazy sex stuff going down and that her father is connected to it. And I'm wondering to what degree she maybe already knows that or suspects it because Jeremiah, I was looking back at my Facebook wall uh, for a little TBT action last week. And I noticed that you had posted an article on my wall several months ago that I'd forgotten about that noted there was going to be some huge orgy scene in this season of True Detective. Uh, yeah, I can't wait for that scene. <laughs> <laughs> Involving porn stars, right? As I, yes, and as I oh, told you right. at the time, Jeremiah, as I told you at the time, I watched True Detective for the articles only. Yeah. yeah. So I'm not, I'm not so hyped on that. However, if you got to assume there's some eyes wide shut kind of crazy weird thing coming up, her father's tied into that at all. And she's got a lot more personal connection to a lot of what's really happening with Casper and a lot of the darkness that's being exposed there. Um, that could be interesting. Like I, I, you know, there, it could, could run too. It's, it's a really fine line there. It could hit a little too on the nose and we could be like, Oh, of course that's happening, whatever. But it could actually be really, really interesting with what we've sort of found out the veneer of this character is in the first two weeks. So I'm really digging Annie like that. She look, there's a lot of criticism going on about the show. Some of it merited, but I really think with these four characters, they've all done a pretty, pretty good job. I think Paul's been given the least amount to do, but even he is an interesting character. So I think good yeah. on them for that. Yeah, I'm just thinking about the line from David Morris in the first episode when he's like, what is porn anyway? Uh, what what Elliot says to Annie. And like, that's such like a, a relaxed attitude about the thing that it almost just like it reeks that he is somehow tied to things that are going on, at least to like the sex scene in this part of California. Like he has he has roots in it. Yeah. Um, and then, 
Yeah, and then I and then I also think about um, you know when she said like she cuts him off at one point when they're when they're having their conversation and she just ends the conversation by saying help your daughter prick and then she walks away and he says I just did and I and I wonder you know just thinking about that now I I'm kind of curious to go back to that conversation and to like listen to it and to listen to the things he says and pick apart the words that he says and does any of what he is saying have bearing on any of the investigation that's to come anything that's that's at play i wonder he kind of feels like you know just being mentioned here name dropped here he feels like he's gonna have some sort of central role and you don't just cast a guy like david morse for you know sort of background noise i think that he's got to play whether or not he's involved in killings or anything like that i don't know but he's gonna have to play some sort of pivotal role in whatever the meta story is that's going on here yeah i think you're right definitely worth rewatching that yeah. I don't want to brag or anything, guys, here, but brag away. Last week, I already said that her father was Birdman, right? And then right. Course, I already won. Looks like I won the death pool. I mean, come on. Are you going to win the Birdman pool? <laughs> it's a yes. Bird. We had a question from Alex Wilpon uh, sent in to feedback, uh, our post show recaps uh, feedback site. And Alex said, if the consensus is that Antonio is the Yellow King, I think the next question to track throughout the season is who's the Birdman? Who is the Birdman? I think you're the Birdman, Josh. Take the Birdman into custody. I am the Birdman. See, there you go. Is- that was I- a the Dark Knight reference, the second of this podcast. Yes, I, I, I think that you're the Birdman. I do you think, think I am the Birdman? I do. Um, who do you think is actually the Birdman? Are you going to go? With, are you going to stick with Elliot Jeremiah? Well, for now, I guess I will. For now, now you have to. You've cast your lot. Locked or- in. Yeah. Okay, Antonio, who is your The Birdman? Well, I want to know who yours is first. No, you go first. Oh, paper, rock, scissors. I win, so you have to go first. I pick scissors, you pick paper. Um, I'm going to say The bird. The Birdman is the mayor? No, that's stupid, but yeah, I'll just say it. Yeah, I and I, I'm going to say that The Birdman is... Um, is... W. Earl Brown. No, nah, but they already did like the the chubby serial killer on this show. They can't do that two seasons. Hey, what, wait, if I'm the Yellow King, what are you saying, man? Hey, listen, I'm allowed to say these things as a chubby person myself. All right, that's fine. We're no, um, but I, I, that's my pick. I'm picking it. I'm picking it. That's uh, Colin Farrell's drunk partner. Just a little too drunk, if you ask me. And questionable why he's really hanging around the detail when it's really about Colin Farrell that that we need to be worried. He's, he's a Vinci cop, so he's probably dirty. We've seen him in both episodes. He went to the scene of the crime. He had some suspicions about it. He was making sure he was observing everything. He's on the inside. I got him as the bird man. That's who I've got. Would he want to shoot Ray, you think? Uh, if he's got to do it, he's got to do it, man. He's covering yeah. something up for somebody a lot bigger than him. Well, before we close out on Andy real quick, I just want to say one thing. Did Is it just me or that... The scene where she's looking up the escort services, which I don't know if you guys noticed the name of it was Naughty Cali Angels for any need or taste is what the website said. But is it just me? or Naughty Cali. The way that was shot, it was almost it was so intense. Like when I'm watching it, this the 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 close up shot of her like intently looking at the screen. There was something very unusual about the way she was doing her research. I yeah, thought. I think what was unusual was that on the monitor, blurred out was straight up penetration. Yes, total penetration. HBO, yabba dabba do. What I'm saying is, was she getting a little pleasure? You thought out of watching that? 
Well, I think that there's been some chatter about that, and like it, it ties into the well, line that she has is like she doesn't delineate between good habits and bad habits. So like there's a little bit of a gray area. That's true. She did say that. So, it's so, gray. Yeah. Bad habit meaning like maybe she's she's into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Who knows? Okay. All right. Okay. Well, I just thought I'd bring it up. I did not read that. That uh, it was an intense scene. It really was. I totally agree with you. All right. Um, and I, I don't know what to make of it. Other than I mean, like. Uh, what what I would make of it if she was deriving some kind of pleasure is that like she's she's you know full of contradiction like you know she's the one who's like kind of getting on her high horse about her sister uh you know being in this industry and like she's at least she's not addicted to drugs but you're doing sex work for money even though it seems like everything is legal and legit uh and she's like on her high horse about that and then she goes and gets shit-faced at the casino and gets thrown out and throws up the double birds at the guards as she's walking away and now she's like you know she's getting angry about about all sorts of stuff and she's watching the porn and like maybe she's enjoying that so i feel like there's there's contradiction with Andy and I think that that makes her a more compelling character. I agree. Okay. And I and I actually I kind of teased around I like this how earlier. self-righteous she is. That but mm-hmm. that all of that is what's making me think that the the larger story of the show is really going to be about Annie more than anyone. And the, that ties into Jeremiah's theory about Elliot being the one uh who's going to ultimately be the birdman and I'm not sure if that's the case or not. But well, involved. Yeah, we're involved. Uh, oh, are you trying to get secondary credit? No, <laughs> not. He's got to be the bird. Locked in, bro. It's okay. It's, if he's just involved with being the birdman, you don't win. I want to spell this out right here and right now. You get point one points. <laughs> you get point one points, and you can trade that into me, and I'll I will give you point one in return, and okay. then it becomes a whole point when I get it. So. Gotcha. Um, just, just, my, Am sure I, you did agree I just with get screwed out of a deal? <laughs> you might have, buddy. Welcome to the world, Frank. You guys are both the yellow king. <laughs> Welcome to the world, Frank. This is how it works. You, you went liquid, didn't you? You went liquid right in your pants. Liquid. <laughs> so here's the deal. I think she's part of the larger story. And I love that. I love that, that, that true detective not only perhaps heard the criticisms of season one, but mm-hmm. has sort of backdoored their way into making a show that is about Annie and about Rachel McAdams. And not really about Vince Vaughn or Colin Farrell or any of these other alpha male types who are actually all struggling with their own issues that make them kind of different. The part of that that I don't like is the character that we're getting of Annie. It may be suggested that she's um, maybe a sex addict uh, and that she is very like, uh, well, I've got to overpower men. I just it, those sorts of things. I I just feel like they're well, a little bit cliche. But maybe, that, but maybe maybe that part of her character does tie in very well though with the overall of what's going on. That seems like that that, that will be the case. And also too to help out this theory about this is that you know I don't know if you guys remember, but early talks about there going to be being a second season. One of the big talks was is that they the the, the rumor was that this was going to be a female centric uh, detective show that they the main uh, detectives were not were all going to be female that there was going to be really no lead male in that particular area so it would be kind of funny if that in the end really it it is her story and so we would have a show that was you know around a female character a main female character so i don't know it kind of it kind of like falls a little bit in that i don't know if you guys knew that that was the original i plan. remember reading that yeah yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very- and I hope that's the case. I mean, I like, yeah. I just, I want that. I want this to be more about Annie than anyone else. I think the fact that we've already met her sister and her father in one episode, uh, mm-hmm. and we know a little bit about her more than I think we know about some of these other characters. I'm hoping that's the case. She also, of all the, the, the 
police officials on the case, she seems to be the one most interested in being a police officer and being an investigator. So I, I respect that about her. And I think that that could be, that could be good. That said, she didn't exactly do bang up work in the first episode in terms of her police work when she busted that joint where her sister was without any real good evidence. So I don't know if she's sort of uh, Im- impulsive or, or what the story with her is. I do think it's going to tie into something larger. I just don't know. Like, look, we had like a web camera in the sex dungeon. Does that mean that the webcam operation that she busted in episode one with her sister is somehow <laughs> tied in? Or is that just there to make you think it might somehow be tied in? And I think that's the central crux of what we're dealing with with True Detective right now. We don't know how to separate the wheat from the chaff. It could be when we go back and we've watched episode seven. That conversation that Annie had with Elliot, her father, in episode one is like the pivotal conversation of the whole season setting everything up. We don't know that yet. So the, we don't know exactly what is a real lead and what's not. We have to be true detectives. And we had a great kind of post on our um, post-show recaps page of the first episode uh, where there was a kind of theory from uh, one of our uh, commenters who basically said the same thing. And that was, I believe, Rubicon. Uh, and pointing out that these things are going on um, in in that kind of thing. And Rubicon says, if there really is that level of painstaking attention to detail, we have shades of Stanley Kubrick about what's going on. And that's very exciting. I'd like to think that's what's happening. I'm not sure. Yeah. Hmm. You mentioned that we have to be the true detectives. I would like to start something starting with this podcast. I would like to award out who is the true detective on the show. True detective this week, Antonio, who this week is the true detective? Uh, I think the true detective this week. Let me think about it for just a second. I'm trying to remember what all Annie got into. Annie seemed like the true detective in terms of the one who was actually doing her job for the right reasons. But I'm going to go ahead and throw this one out to Ray. Uh, I'm, even though he got killed, apparently, at the end of the episode, I was very impressed with Ray, his detective skills here. He definitely sniffed out the uh, what what was really going on with Annie and Paul and assuming that one of them had been offered. I mean, he knows how to know when he's being hunted. And at least in that respect, even though he doesn't at the end of the episode. And I know I'm crazy for picking him, considering he holstered his gun when he walked into a bloody room. But I was more impressed with his detective skills because I I thought this guy was a crumpled heap mess of nothing. And the fact that he's able to string cogent thought together, that impresses me. So I'm picking Ray. Jeremiah, do you endorse the the pick of Ray as the true detective? If Ray's dead, he's not going to get another chance to win this. Fair enough. I I was going to pick Ray, so I I guess I'm endorsing it. Let's do it. Let's put it in. Let's put it in ink. The first true detective goes to Ray Velcoro. Ray Velcoro, we salute you. We hope that you are feeling better next week (laughs) and that your balls are okay (laughs) and that you were wearing a bulletproof vest or at least were shot with a rubber thing. Uh, or at least will not be so upset when you spring back to life next week. And, and I promise this will be the last thing I mention about the whole whether he's dead or not. But I have a, just a question. Is it possible that the choice of music that we hear in the final closing scene here when Ray gets shot has anything to do with it's trying to tell us something? Because the fir- the song that's, like I said, being played when he gets shot is uh, done by Bobby Blue Bland. The name of the song is I Pity the Fool. And then the closing credits song is by a John Paul White. And the name of that title, that song is What a Way to Go. Now, what I don't know all the go. lyrics. I didn't get a chance to listen to read all the lyrics and everything. So I'm not quite sure uh, wh- exactly what the song is completely about. But just the titles alone, Pity the Fool and What a Way to Go. 
that does that sounds really that sounds really bad for Ray to not make it out of this episode. Yeah, it's just so weird just, how that's all bookended. Laura Holswasser pointed book. out, yeah, that yeah, I mean it's it's just very I mean it's very specific. Like there's choices that are made, right? Like Laura Holswasser pointed out that the episode started with Vince Vaughn saying money is never really yours because you can't take it with you when you die. And at the end of the episode, Colin Farrell Wait, basically. You can't? I know you can't, Josh. Uh, I've been hoarding all my money. Oh, well, do you, do you plan on dying? Eventually. Uh, you better start well, spending that money because you can't take it with you. And, and actually, Antonio and I would be more than welcome to take it off your hands. Oh, you bunch <laughs> of Caspers. Yeah, well, what I would say. What you're up to. If you <laughs> want to spend that money, Josh, I have a few things that you can spend it on. Okay. Uh, let's yes. talk about that offline. I will spend it maybe tomorrow. Speaking of maybe tomorrow, that is the name of episode three of True Detective season two, which we will be discussing next week. And I will say another thing and end it like this. And guys, this is a fantastic second episode podcast of True Detective on Post Show Recaps. It was amazing, I will admit. Antonio, thank you so much. Amazing. <laughs> oh, I'm happy to be here. Always. Antonio, do we have a good hashtag for this one? I would have got one big chunk. <laughs> one big, one big chunk sounds good to me. How do you feel about that, Jeremiah? Uh, yes, I co-signed that. I was also going to say hashtag creepy dungeon sex house, but I feel like only a few brave souls would be willing to grab that. Let me uh, see Jeremiah, don't forget used. to secure that periscope, please. Okay, I will. Let me see that's that's first order of business when we sign off here. Uh, speaking of which, we are going to do that now. We will be back next week talking about maybe tomorrow, episode three of True Detective season two. Hopefully, Colin Farrell is alive, if only to keep this death pool going for a little while longer. If he's not, we will mourn him next week. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. You can subscribe to what we're doing here at posterrecaps.com slash true detective iTunes. Subscribe to everything we're doing here on Poster Recaps. Posterrecaps.com slash iTunes is the way to do that. We will talk to you all next week. Thanks, everybody. Take care. Bye.